Amen. What is up, church? A lot of, a lot of energy this morning. That's good. We're going to have fun this morning. Uh, something that I love this year, and you'll hear about it next week. We're going to talk about the vision and kind of this third thing we're chasing after, uh, which we call For Our City. So we are a church for Jesus, for people in For Our City. And so this thing with the kids, that's their expression of how to chase after that For Our City. That we are a church that cares for our city, that's invested in our city, that is going to own certain things in our city to be a part of. And we got some more plans coming up this fall. Uh, but the kids, the next thing the kids are going to do, uh, which I'm jazzed about, they are going to make cards for all the firefighters in our city. And they're going to make, I think there's 90 plus firefighters in our city, and they're just going to make cards for them. We're praying for you. We appreciate you. We love what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So just a little thing. That, that our kids are doing to say thank you for those that serve this city. Last week, we've been walking through this uh, series called The Path. And we finished up this series called The Gospel, and that's leading us into this series called The Path, where we're, we're talking about kind of how we are organizing, what we are chasing after as a church. So I have a, a picture up here that I saw this week that I, that I want to uh, just have you think about. You can't grow a plant by dipping it into the dirt once a year. How many people know that? Have we got any farmers? You don't even need to be a farmer, right? Like you just kind of know that, right? Uh, it takes ongoing connection to build a root system. So a question that I have is are you planted in a root system right now. Like, like we all know that, that you can't just grab a plant, pluck it out of the earth, and walk around with it, and every now and then put it back in, water it, get some dirt around it, and then pull it back out again, and then walk around and expect it to live, right? R- right? Yes, a resounding yes in the chat. Yes. That is true. We all know this. Like, you got to plant it in the earth where nutrients come, water falls, sun hits it, all these things. Uh, can't remember what that process is called in science class, but there is a process for it in which plants grow, right? But it has to be photosynthesis, thank you. But it has to be in the ground, in the dirt, receiving nutrients from the earth getting sunlight, and being watered on a consistent basis for the plant to even survive, right? Much less grow. So question for you, where are you planted right now? Think about it. Where are you planted? What root system have you developed? And this is a question, like, for real talk, right? Like, I know all of us in here would be like, oh, we're planted in church, it's great. But that's not necessarily the case. Because we plant ourselves all over the place. And that's a place where we, we put ourselves in the ground and we receive nutrients, potentially nutrients, whether they're healthy or not, from whatever it is that we're planting ourselves in. So it's actually a very profound question. 
Where are you planted? Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3, says this. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stands in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. It's interesting, like, he he lays out this, this progression, right? He lays out this progression that leads to nowhere good. He says, blessed are those who don't walk in steps, so you're walking along with, or sitting down with. Those are all different phases of planting yourself. And he's saying, blessed is the one who does not plant yourself in these spaces, with these people. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord, whose delight is in Jesus, whose delight is in Scripture, whose delight is in following Jesus with everything you have. And who meditates on scripture day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season. And whose leaves do not wither. Whatever they do prospers. So the psalmist is expressing, hey, there's two ways to live. You can be plant, you can plant yourself, you can just walk by, you can plant yourself with the people who are not following Jesus, and that will yield certain fruit and certain results. He says, but the one who plants themselves in Jesus, in Scripture, and I would argue in the body of Christ, is the one that yields fruit. That has a constant flow of nutrients coming for it to be sustained and for it to grow. Some of us know from this last year and a half what it's like to be distant from the church, from the body of Christ. And I've had enough conversations to know that it's been a struggle, right? When you're forced to pull away from community, when you're forced to pull away from looking people in the eye, and they ask, hey, how you doing? And you can't just like type, oh, I'm good. And they can't come back and go, are you really? Because you don't look good. Like your face is all jumbled and, and, and you look stressed and you look like, I would argue That we are made to be in community. Made to be planted as a Christ follower in the body of Christ. To receive nutrients. To be sustained. And furthermore, to be transformed. I mean, this theme is throughout all the scriptures, right? I think of like Romans 12. You walk through the doors in grace and mercy. 
and you experience Jesus and it renews your mind and transforms you. So you end up looking more like and living more like Jesus and less like the world. Where are you planted? In this gospel series, we've been talking about the beauty of the gospel and what it really means. That it's not just, oh, I'm going to make a decision and say a little prayer so I can escape someday, right? Like life is hard, life is really rough, and the whole goal is to get up to heaven. We talked about that idea really isn't found that way, that concisely in Scripture, But it's more about joining the movement, the mission of Jesus in having the kingdom of God merge with earth. Someone somewhere said, church is to be the thin place. The place where the line between earth and the kingdom of God is blurred. You and I are invited into that call into that mission. And the way that Jesus put it towards the end of his ministry, he died, he came back, appeared to the disciples and many other people to show that they, this is real. What I said was going to happen actually happened. And what was his parting message? Go, make disciples. I heard somebody say his parting message wasn't even go and be a disciple, right? It is to go and make disciples. That's a whole nother level because it means that you just can't sit safely in church and become a disciple all to yourself, but you are to go out of the doors and make disciples of other people who don't know Jesus. So he says, go, make disciples. He said it's at the end of the Gospels, and then he says it again in the book of Acts, which is the beginning, the birth of the church. And he goes, go and make disciples. And then we see a couple chapters in, in Acts, chapter 2. We see Jesus come, the Apostles are meeting. The Holy Spirit comes and fills the place. And then we see the apostles go out and start to preach the gospel. Go out and start to preach in the streets. Go out and make disciples. And then we see this beautiful picture of the early church forming. And it's found in... Uh, Acts chapter 2 starts in verse 42, the, the fellowship of the believers. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Just take that line right there. They devoted themselves to the teaching. To fellowship. 
which New Testament word fellowship, koinonia, is a much bigger, much more powerful word than how like nice Christians usually refer to fellowship, right? Like you went and hung out at somebody's house and you're like, oh, we fellowship, that was great. Or you talk during coffee after church, you're like, that was such great fellowship. The idea of New Testament fellowship is much deeper than that. It's this sharing life, this walking life together. It's this generosity, this spirit, this, it's much greater than just one hangout time. It's actually doing life together. And so the the early Christians, as a church was forming, they devoted themselves. What does that mean? They planted themselves in a community with a group of people, a lot of people. And what was the purpose? Jesus. It was to study the scriptures, to learn. It was to share life with each other. You see a little, it's to be generous with anybody in the group. There's a need? Great. I got that. God's blessed me with this. I can serve that need. I can provide it. It was to pray together. To worship together. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give anyone that has a need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread and in their homes they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoyed the favor of all the people that the Lord added to their number daily. There were thousands of people coming to know Jesus. And what was the catalyst for that? A group of people that were living life differently than the rest. And other people looked on that and said, wow, there's something unique about these people. Like, Like these people are living life differently than the rest of people in the city. Why? Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus. That's why. There's this challenge, right? Because I don't know about you, but I read those verses, and I sit and wonder, how on earth can that happen today? Right? Like, it almost seems like this utopian society. There, there was a, a sociologist named Zygmunt Bauman, and he talks about the realities of where we're at as a society, as a culture, and he said, there's two types of communities. There's ethical communities, and there are peg communities. And he talks about how uh, since the Industrial Revolution, it has changed the way that we operate as communities. He says before the Industrial Revolution, uh, it was very much community-focused, tribe-focused. You lived with the people that you were in the community with. Whole families were farming together or did the family business. Like the community members depended on one another to trade and barter. Oh, you're a carpenter. Great. Give me what you have. I'll provide you the corn that I'm making. 
It was a different time, a different era where communities were more knitted together and relied and depended on each other. And he makes a very brilliant observation. We no longer live in ethical communities. We live in what he calls peg communities. He he says this, peg communities are communities forged by disconnected spectators around a mutually loved experience like a rock concert or sporting match. Who's going to watch football today? Their participation is a feeling or sense around something that is shared. Right? So a peg community is you and I getting together for the football game. We don't really like each other all that much, but we like to watch football together because we're, our relationship is based off this shared experience. And he's saying this is our reality that we live in. Ethical communities, in stark contrast, are long-term commitments that are marked by giving up rights and service. In short, ethical communities are built on relationships of responsibilities. These are relationships formed by commitment, love, covenant, and even familial fidelity. One of the fundamental shifts in our social matrix is that our relationships are increasingly made up of peg communities rather than ethical communities. To give an example, you hear of this book study going on. And you're like, oh man, I'm really interested in that book. I've been meaning to read it. I don't know if book studies even happen anymore. But uh, like, I've been wanting to read this book. And I, I can gauge by the book that I can tell the other people that join this study are also interested in reading this type of literature. So I'm going to join this book study. And it's going to be awesome. Then you join the book study. And it is awesome. You get, to sh- you get to read this book together that you all love, that you're all interested by, that you're all diving into. And then, the book is over, or maybe Judy starts to annoy you too much, right, like she's over in the corner, she says the same thing every week, she's very critical, very, like, bah humbug-ish about the book, and you really just can't stand her, because you really love the book, but there's Judy over here that every week is like a cat's claws on a chalkboard, and you just can't stand her anymore. You guys know, you have your own Judy's, right? If you're named Judy, I apologize. This is not really about you. Or the book ends. And then what do you do? Judy won't stop talking, or the book ends. You leave that community because it's no longer serving your interests, right? That's an example of what a peg community looks like. A.J. Swoboda writes, Today in a world where we can find whole communities of people who think like us, share our values, have common likes, we are trading our ethical relationships for peg relationships. This is troubling. Because we do not really need to love anybody who is different than us if we don't feel like it. We can cower in the corner with all the people that we agree with. See, ethical communities are built on love, commitment. 
this rugged love, not the kind of love like, I'll love you until you're not lovable anymore, and then I'm out. This love that goes, no, I'm going to stick with you. I'm going to get to know you. Even though you drive me crazy, I'm still going to love you. This commitment, like, I am not going anywhere. I am in. So instead of communities, building communities that are built on commitment, longevity, love, you end up leaving the book club because it doesn't serve you anymore. You don't like it anymore. And in this book, it, it continually just goes on to talk about how that is problematic for our society. We live in a society that is about peg communities, and the goal is to start building communities that are ethical. And that is what the church is about. Like you read the early church, Acts 2, what comes to mind? Is it a peg community or is it an ethical community? No, it's, a, it's, a peg, it's an ethical community, right? Like people that because of Jesus, because of who he is and what he did and what he stands for in the mission in the vision, all come together and agree, we are going to do life together. And I would argue that that is how we mature and grow in our faith. By saying, this, we're going to join the ethical community that is the body of Christ, that is Jesus. That is how we mature and grow in our faith. And that is how we begin to live life differently than the community around us. So there are two parts to the ethical community. Where are you planted? And how are you contributing? Something that we like to say around here is we are not spiritual consumers, but we are spiritual contributors. Plant ourselves in community, in a body of people that's focused and reliant on Jesus. And over time, that is how we grow and mature in our faith that is how we are transformed in our minds, in our bodies, and how we live out the gospel in this world. And that is also where we spiritually can contribute, give of our passions, of our gifts. So, Last week, we asked the question, where do I fit in? This week, we're asking the question, how do I get involved? And there are two main things that we want to talk about this morning. And the two 
areas, we'll cover the third next week in our last sermon on the path. But the two areas I want to mention today is groups and teams. Uh, To intro the groups, uh, there's a video from Jamie and Lee that I want to show. Hey, Renew Church, I'm Jamie and this is Lee, and we're here to talk to you about Bible studies happening this fall with Renew Church. In October, we're starting an eight-week study on the book of Genesis. You'll be given a few chapters and a few questions uh, to read and go over each week. We're going to have multiple groups meeting on multiple days, um, both in person and online, so you'll be able to find a group that meets your times and your needs. So we know that you know, there's always something that, you know, with our schedules, they're very busy, uh, life happens, and, you know, right now, there's a lot of crazy things going on, but what we've heard as we've done this for, for multiple years now is that people who go through these Bible studies say, it's that one time where, you know, for an hour a week, I can just push everything out and I can focus on God, I can talk to other people who have the same struggles, um, we get to read the Bible together, and it's just a place where, I don't always, I didn't always know that I needed it. And so we would hope that you would take this time, take this step, and join a Bible study uh, this fall. Yeah, we're excited for you to join. So if you're interested, please sign up at church or at the link below. Hope to see you there. And those guys do a great job. So uh, I want to put up this, this graphic here. We covered the first half of this graphic last week. Where do I fit in? Uh, Tender, door holder, partner. These are places where you could commit to and challenge yourself in. That I want to commit to this level in the church. Like I want to plant myself at this level in the church. At this place in the church. We talked about last week with the the, the story of the 5,000. None of these spaces are greater than the other. In fact, the the partner, one of our leaders used this term this week, the partner is the ultimate commitment to the church is like the reverse gym membership, right? Where you commit to serve the gym, to be at the gym, but you don't use any of the equipment, but you serve so that others can use the equipment at the gym. So the first question is, where do I fit in? The next question is, how do I get involved? How do I further plant myself? in a place among the body of Christ. And the first place is groups. Go ahead and put up the next graphic. The groups this fall consist of three different areas. The first that Jamie and Lee talked about are Bible studies. These are groups that are going to meet starting in October And the dates and times are on there of when they meet. Most of them are Zoom, so anybody can be involved in them, even online. But we're going to walk through Genesis. And I'm going to be preaching on Genesis, so it's going to be a beautiful thing that's all flowing together. But it's this time where you get to commit to a time, a place, be intentional about planting yourself with other Christ followers to learn. And be transformed. The next area is life groups. These are what we call groups that meet on an ongoing basis. They meet weekly or bi-weekly all throughout the year. It's an ongoing group. The Bible studies will last uh, six to eight weeks. Yes, I got the head nod. Six to eight weeks. 
So anybody could commit for six to eight weeks in our week. The life groups is more of an ongoing group that you start to share life with. And then another thing we're trying this year is something we call courses. Throughout the year, we'll have different courses to be involved with, but we are starting something called Alpha, which you come to discuss the foundational questions of faith. Questions like, why do we pray? So be thinking, what group can you commit to? What group can you be planted in? And especially with an alpha group, who can you invite that maybe is doubting who Jesus is or questioning? Who can you invite to that group to talk about the basic questions that we have, we all have about faith? There's going to be sign-ups after church for groups outside. So there's your opportunity to sign up, get planted, spiritually contribute to a group, and grow and be transformed. When I first graduated college, I, I was leading a small group in a church plant that I was involved in. And I'll never forget a guy named Tim. Tim and I couldn't be more different. Uh, I don't think Tim liked me. And I love Tim in this, like, you know, Jesus love. Um, but Tim was there every week. And, and frankly, Tim was really negative and usually caused a fight and was really abrasive. And, uh, like, it, the group, the whole group kind of struggled with Tim. Like, everybody was kind of fun and, and, like, just nice. And, and Tim was kind of this abrasive person that joined the group. And and frankly, I didn't know if Tim was getting anything out of it. Uh, I I don't think Tim liked anybody in the group. But Tim was there every week, engaging in whatever content we had, usually arguing with scripture. He was that guy, always arguing, always just like aggressive. And I remember when we, when we closed that group, I left that group and, and I kind of went, yeah, I think everybody grew except maybe Tim. Like, I don't know what was happening there. I, I wish I could have done better. I could have been a better leader, all this stuff. Tim reached out to me years later through Facebook. And he said something that I never thought I would hear Tim say. He said, hey, man, I just wanted to thank you for leading that group. Because that group transformed my relationship with Jesus. And and I'm following Jesus now. And I don't know that I would have been without that group. So I sat there and went, praise God. Because I don't know that it's anything that we did. (laughs) Because I think he hated it. But even in that group, he planted himself in a group of Jesus followers. Intentionally carved out time in the week. And Jesus met him there. So I want to challenge you. Plant yourself in a group. Another place to plant yourself is in a team. Now, I'll be honest. It's been an interesting year, right? We are in the process of rebuilding almost all of our teams at church. Almost every team that we have, we are in the process of rebuilding. 
And we're even at the place where we're rebuilding the teams and we have to add to our teams to even sustain the current pace of ministry that we are doing. Now, if you notice, this room is getting a little full. Someday, I predict we're going to have to go to two services. We need more people on our sound and video team to sustain that pace of ministry. Right? Our kids' ministry right now. I think a third of the leaders down there are high school students helping out, pouring out every single week so that our kids, we can partner with families so that our kids can start to experience who Jesus is and you can widen that circle that's around you supporting your kids. We need more kids volunteers so that our kids' ministry can sustain the level we are at right now. So I want to put up this graphic. Is there another one about teams? I don't know if there is. There's a list of teams. I made, that made me my bad. But there's a list of teams that we have that it will be outside. And here's the thing. Uh, the Bible says in, in 1 Corinthians, there is a body of Christ. And Paul talks about how this is an actual body, right? In, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, he talks about there's hands, there's ears, there's eyes, there's legs, there's uh, a brain, there's a head to contain the brain. Like there's all parts of the body that make up the body of Christ, which is the Church, just what we're tracking. It's the church, all right? It's the church. The body of Christ is the church. Let's get that right. And he says, look, you have been gifted. You have passions. You have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to live out those passions within the body of Christ. (laughs) So if the eye doesn't show up, the body suffers because it's stumbling around blind. If the hands don't show up, the body suffers. If the legs don't show up, the body just lays on the floor and sits there. Paul uses this illustration that every single part of the body is needed to do the ministry that Jesus is calling the body to. See, I fully believe that as Jesus empowers and equips the church with you, He prepares the church for the ministry that the church is supposed to do. So part of the body doesn't show up. The mission struggles. The ministry struggles. Part of the body doesn't show up. And people get burned out. Because they're working harder than they should be. Right? Like, like if your one leg doesn't show up. I don't know why I pick leg. But if your one leg doesn't show up, you're going to be hopping down the road trying to get somewhere. And your other leg is going to get worn out. Because it's designed to be used by two legs. Walking in a direction. And so part of the body doesn't show up. Either we can't do the ministry that Jesus is calling us to, or we get tired. 
The, the volunteers that are here working on the teams get tired because they're carrying the entire burden. When that burden would be eased and lifted when more parts of the body showed up to do what they were called to do. So it's a challenge. First Corinthians 12, 27 says, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Each one of you has a role. Each one of you is gifted to do something in the body that will further the mission of Jesus. You're a college student. You are here for a reason. You have gifts. You have passions that are to be explored and grown and transformed within the church body. You're a parent with three kids at home. I get it. Life is busy. You're tired. But you still have passions and giftings that Jesus has given you. The Holy Spirit has given you. And you have a place in the church to live those out. You're retired. Well, that's great because you got a lot of time on your hands. And Jesus has amazing things for you to do within the body of Christ. You may think, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, it's a young church. I'm not really needed. I'm not really relevant. No. You are the grandparents that are fueling the church, that are the foundation for the church. You are mature. You are wise. You are brilliant. We need you in the church, serving, living out your passions and gifts, and mentoring, pouring life into. There is a place for everyone, and everyone is part of the body. Worship team, come on up. I'm running out of time. There are people in this church that absolutely love what they are doing. And they absolutely love the ministry that they are involved in. It gives them life. So if you are sitting here today and you call Renew Church your home church, I want to challenge you. Join a group and or get on a team and serve. We'll find a good team for you to be on. We need to rebuild our teams to do the ministry that Jesus is calling us to. And you are gifted. You have passion to serve. So as we sing this last song, as you walk out, there's going to be sign-ups for groups and teams. They'll be right in your face. There'll also be sign-ups next week for our kickoff. And I want to encourage you, challenge you. Plant yourself in a group and team and see what Jesus does, how he transforms you. Amen.